Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of For Your Innovation by ARC Invest, a podcast on all things related to disruptive technologies. I'm Andrew Kim, Research Associate covering Consumer Internet and Fintech, and I'm joined by Nick Groose, Associate Portfolio Manager. Today, we have the great privilege of speaking with Daniel Diaz, Chief Transformation Officer at Magic Leap. Hi, Daniel. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Nicholas. Good to be here. And for our listeners, we think it'd be great if you can you know, introduce yourself and uh, let us know how you ended up where you are today. Okay, sure. So as you said, Daniel Diaz, Chief, Chief Transformation Officer of Magic Leap. I've been with Magic Leap since 2018. Um, I was originally brought in as Chief Marketing Officer um, after the launch of Magic Leap 1 uh, and when the company realized that it did need to make a pivot between the consumer market and the enterprise market. And so did a lot of that work uh, along with Peggy Johnson, our CEO, to really um, transform the company from one one focus to the other. Um, It took a lot on both the brand side, the reputational side, and then, of course, on the technology side, and then how the company operates. But that's the work that I've been doing along with with Peggy and the leadership team uh, over the last, especially last two years, as we retooled this company to be a true enterprise provider. Got it. And before we delve any deeper, um, can you just tell us what does Magic Leap do in a nutshell? Sure, that would help. Uh, So Magic Leap is the designer and builder of an augmented reality headset. Uh, Our headset, uh, the Magic Leap 2, is the most, I would say, the most advanced and performative augmented reality headset out there in the market, and it is 100% focused on the enterprise market. We're focused on applications uh, that really give um, new meaning to training, uh, to visualization of data, and to remote assistance. Those are the things that we really feel that, that AR at this moment in time can deliver the most value. And even more specifically, we look at the manufacturing industrial sector, we look at healthcare, we look at the public sector, specifically first responders and defense, uh, as well as architecture, engineering, and construction. And so for us, those are, the, those are the verticals where AR can have an immediate impact. Right now, with the current ecosystem of solutions that are available, those three verticals, and then using those three use cases, training, 3D visualization of data, and remote assistance, those are the things and the places where we can deliver immediate value. And so it's no longer this conversation about, oh, in five years' time, AR will be able to deliver X, Y, and Z, it is about right now AR can do this for your company. And we're seeing great response, not only to the hardware platform that we've built, but also from the ecosystem of solution builders. And then on the customer side, really understanding exactly what it is they can do with this technology today. Daniel, I want to dive a little further into the development of Magic Leap 2. 
What were some of the primary hardware challenges you faced making this leap for, no pun intended, but this leap from Magic Leap 1, Magic Leap 2? And what did you see in the market that forced the company to pivot away from consumer and into enterprise? More, It it sounds like you you just gave us the rundown on what you saw in enterprise that's leading to to why you would want to be in that market. But what was it that was lacking in the consumer market that forced you away from it? So I think the, the with the consumer market, it was early. It was really early days, right? So we with Magic Leap One, we built the most advanced headset on the market, right? I would I would argue to say that we bested everyone, including Microsoft Hololens, when Magic Leap One came out. The problem is that the ecosystem of content available for co- consumers really wasn't that great. It was small, and so you know customers had a hard time justifying that price tag for something that really couldn't beat a cell phone when it, come to, when it came to how performant it was. There were more apps. You could do more on your cell phone than you could do uh, than with the Magic Leap 1. doesn't mean it wasn't incredible technology. It just was pointed at the wrong market or pointed at a market too soon in the, in the sort of lifespan of, of AR. So the interesting thing is that a bunch of customers from Magic Leap 1 were enterprise customers in medical, in retail, in the industrial manufacturing space, in the defense space. And we got a huge amount of feedback from them on what needed to change for this device to truly be an enterprise device. Now, we'll start with the physical part of the the hardware, right? It had to be lighter, it had to be smaller, uh, the field of view needed to be bigger. So those were all things that we heard from doctors especially. I need to be able to keep this thing on my head for eight hours. It's gotta be light, it's gotta be comfortable, it can't be hot. Um, and so all those things were, were things that we took into consideration when, when building Magic Leap 2 on the hardware side. The, um, you know, the other piece of it is things like, you know, we have a very specific way we deal with prescription lenses. So other headsets, you know, you put them on, you have the shield, right? And it comes down, you could put them over a pair of glasses, which is great when it comes to just being able to slip it on. The problem is that the way those work, the, you know, the, it bring the images are further away from the eyes, what you're, you know, the, what you're trying to project. And therefore you don't get the clarity you want on those images the color uniformity is off and the text legibility is really off. Magic Leap, because of the way we put prescription inserts, they pop right into the lenses and we're able to bring them super close to your face. We're able to accomplish bigger field of view, better text legibility, more color uniformity, better clarity of those images. And when you think about where we're going in medical use cases, you know, architecture, engineering, construction, uh, defense, all those things, they require that fidelity in order for these things to truly be performative, especially on the text legibility side. The other thing that we found was that the device needed to be more um, dynamic in the environments that you could use it in. This is a light additive device. You know, our Augmented reality is a light additive technology. We are shooting light into your eyes and it is basically making you believe that there are, there are objects in the physical world. There are digital objects and they look and feel real. Well, if you're in a brightly lit environment like a operating room or a brightly lit factory floor, it's really hard for that device to compete with that with that other light, that ambient light. We created something called dynamic dimming, which allows someone to either darken the entire field of view. So you can go from fully seeing your world, actually seeing it, uh, to darkening it and only seeing digital content. Or you can put darkness behind just the digital objects you're putting in the world. 
And so those become, you know, super high contrast. So all those things were necessary. Uh, and then, of course, on the software side, we had to put in security protocols. You know, we had to be cloud agnostic. We had to have MDM in the device, like all the things you need in order to integrate into a IT technology stack. All None of that was in Magic Leap 1 because it was aimed at the consumer market. And so all those things had to also be integrated into the platform. And we did all those things. I think um, it's pretty remarkable the team did it. We did it during COVID. Uh, so that was also a pretty remarkable feat. But what we launched last year was the most performative uh, enterprise AR device out there with all those features, with great, great feedback from the customers, the enterprise customers from Magic Leap 1. And I guess in terms of iterating on the form factor, uh, what do you, what part of it is like the most difficult right, to improve? Hands down, the optics are the most difficult thing to do. Um, we have... I don't know, somewhere around 4,000 patents, and a great majority of them cover the optics in Magic Leap. The, the waveguides that we create are truly unique. Uh, I, you know, I just was given a, a refresher on just how incredibly precise the manufacturing process needs to be. We've invented so much of it, the even the down to the machinery that creates the waveguides for our optics. Uh, we had to invent those things because they just didn't exist at the time when this company was developing. And what we ended up with on top of having all this incredible IP around the hardware, there's a big chunk of IP at Magic Leap that really deals with the manufacturing process and machinery that manufactures the waveguides for us. Um, and it's put us in a very interesting position, uh, so much so that we're having now technology companies approach Magic Leap and sign licensing and manufacturing deals because they simply can't figure out the design part of the optics or the manufacturing part of the optics. Magic Leap, we've got capacity in our factory because we're built in the U.S., so our factory's in, in South Florida. We've got capacity to make about 3 million devices a year, um, and our yield rate is somewhere around 93%. And so that process is pretty valuable, and it's definitely attracting a lot of attention from the tech industry as they start to either want to get into the game or speed up their own roadmap for AR. You know, AR is much, much more difficult to do than, than, than VR. It's much more difficult than pass-through VR, which is what you're seeing Meta and Apple come out with. The ability to actually see your world with your eyes, not through a camera, and then place that digital content there and make that digital content feel and look real is, is really difficult. You, know, you have to be able to stick a digital object in the world and then walk around it and have it change as you walk around it, the device has to know where you are. It has to know exactly where your eyes are. It's got to be able to stick that object in the world without moving and jittering. And then it has to take into account light, shadow, glare, and it recreates all of that. The compute power necessary and the optical precision necessary for that is incredible. Um, it's a, I, I'm always surprised that this company, you know, Magic Leap with, you know, 1,100 people has been able to continue to drive the, the innovation forward and continues to best you know, some of the biggest technology firms in the world with, with this device. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a true feat. Got it. And I guess as investors or tech enthusiasts, as we're trying to track the progress of AR devices over time, I think we like to look at, you know, different um, proxies for like this um, t uh, advancement, right? Like we can look at field of view, we can look at refresh rates, we can look at resolution per eye. You did say that optics, right, as a whole, is the most difficult aspect to solve? Like, how, how do you think um, someone kind of outside of the industry should be viewing these advancements? Like, how, how can they track it uh, best? Like, what can 
Some of those metrics, I think, are really more, they pertain more to the VR side of the world, right? So the resolution of those screens, because you put on a pass-through VR device, they've got cameras going out in the world, and they're recreating that image on those screens. You know, um, I haven't seen it myself, but the 4K screens that, that Apple Vision Pro uh, seems to have would give you unbelievable resolution. The problem with it is that if you're in motion, you the user, or your world is in motion, then there's a lag between those cameras capturing that image of the world and recreating it on those screens. Um, and so if you put on something like a MetaQuest Pro and I throw a handball to you or a tennis ball to you, you won't catch that ball because the lag is just long enough. And so that that's a problem for, for those types of devices. If you're talking about AR, I would look at a couple of things uh, if you want to begin to track the progress. One, you should see how quickly the, the, the hardware is actually uh, progressing. Um, how big is the field of view? Are they able to expand that? How are they able to increase the compute power on those devices? Right now, a lot of the AR solutions that are out there are really more heads-up display, and they use you know mobile chip, te chip technology. We've got a semi-custom chip built by AMD. Our our compute pack is you know as powerful as an Apple you know sort of MacBook Pro. So you need serious compute, and so. Not only should you be tracking the field of view, but you should be tracking the size and weight of this device because putting that much compute power into a device is difficult. It's why we've removed the compute and the battery to a, to a tethered pack that, that you use. So you should be looking at the ability of the industry to, to integrate that into a single headset that has a form factor that you can see driving more and more mass adoption, right? Right now, AR is perfect for the enterprise space. It is highly functional. The form factor, I think, is not a deterrent at this point. At least Magic Leap's form factor is not a deterrent. If you want to start to go mass market, you're going to be looking at a few things. You're going to be looking at the size and weight of that device. You're going to be looking at um, the uh, price point coming down. And you'll, you know, as, as technology ages, it'll do that. Um, and the third thing you're going to look at is, is the content ecosystem growing within a specific within a specific area. Right now, you'll see a lot of enterprise applications, especially training, 3D visualization. You see a lot of remote assistance. And we're seeing those begin to bubble up more and more. And we're seeing more and more end users or customers really trying to really gravitating toward that, or even creating their own custom applications that are specific to those, those use cases. You're going to want to look for the enterprise um, ISV or solution ecosystem to grow. You're also going to want to see, are you starting to see solutions come out that are geared toward a larger portion of the population, whether that be more of an enterprise or a personal use case. Um, that, that, those three things combined, form factor, the price point, and then the ecosystem of solutions available are all the three things you should be tracking to see when these devices can become more and more mass in their scale. I want to focus in on the software side of the equation. And you mentioned something that really just, um, you know, I want to hone in on, which is this content creation and focusing on build, building a developer community. And so I'm curious how Magic Leap goes about fostering that developer community because something we've always noted about the AR and VR space, and I think it's getting much better on the enterprise side, but you have this chicken and the egg problem where you need software to entice people to use these devices, but you need to put enough devices out there into the world that developers feel that they're creating for a large enough body of, of users. So I'm curious how Magic Leap goes about fostering the software side of the equation. Are you working with developers? Are you, are you putting them in touch with certain companies? How exactly are you going about it? Sure. Well, we have a, a great 
stable of, of developers who've created some really wonderful solutions for Magic Leap. So we, of course, provide them with a lot of help on you know, helping refine those solutions so they truly take advantage of what's in the platform. And so we have a whole team of folks who, who do that. Um, we also go so far as really connecting them commercially with, with folks that we know need those applications. And whether that be on the public sector side or on the, on the commercial side or the, you know, the, the private sector, we do a lot of that work because we hear from so many folks what they're looking for, what needs they have. And as we survey the library of solutions available, we can matchmake and we do. We make those, those connections. The, there's a huge amount of tools that are available for developers. I think we're probably one of the most developer-friendly uh, platforms out there. We support a whole host of engines, everything from MRTK, Unity, Unreal, all of it. We're partnered with NVIDIA very, very closely. We've got you know customers deploying solutions at a very, very large scale. Cisco's WebEx hologram is a great example of you know large company really looking to the Magic Leap platform to deliver the best experience for what you know what they're developing and how they're evolving their offerings to include AR. Those are all great signals that I would look at, right? How many big companies are are they partnered with? You know, Nvidia, I don't think it gets much bigger than Nvidia when it comes to this this space and what they're doing, right? And the number of engines, the ability to be cloud agnostic. There's a big difference between a company like Magic Leap and others who are in the space. You know, we're a pure player, right? And so we're looking at how do we advance the technology and make it as performative as possible. We're not looking to drive you into our cloud business. We're not looking to figure out how to capture as much data as possible to drive our advertising business. We are simply trying to make the most performative platform out there for AR. Um, and those are the things that we're doing uh, to make sure that the developer ecosystem has everything they need and it provides them with as large of a market as possible. And then just a follow-up question, because you mentioned a few segments within the enterprise space that you're starting to see adoption in. Of those that you've mentioned or that you're working in, which one seems to really have begun to start to gain a lot of traction, whether sure. it's defense, whether it's you know some of these operating room solutions, which one has really started to come on here? And then which one are you most excited for or is the company most excited for going forward? Yep. I think training is the number one thing we see over and over again. Uh, and it's it's not simply sort of curriculum-based training where you're replacing a screen and you're, you're doing it, you know, you just happen to be wearing a headset and it's, you know, you're looking at multiple screens. It's training in situ, right? So think about industrial and manufacturing training scenarios where you need to see what you're doing. Your hands need to be free uh, and you are training in the same environment, using the same machinery, doing the same thing. So you're learning much, much faster. Uh, it's not like you're learning in a classroom and then you're trying to convert that learning into, into something on the, in the actual field. You're learning in the field. What we found is that the training time goes down by 80%, um, which is incredible. But the um, amount of waste in the, training, in the manufacturing process goes down by about 25%. So you're training them faster and they're better at their job. The interesting thing is in the training applications, what we're finding is that employees are about 30% more engaged in their job. And that's pretty remarkable. Engaged employees stay longer. The other thing that was interesting is that when you introduce Magic Leap into the, into the recruiting process, the recruiting time goes down because the job is seen as much more high-tech and future-facing than a traditional manufacturing job. So we not only can train them better and make them better at their job and do it faster, we also can recruit them faster and hold on to them longer. And if you think about manufacturing, the manufacturing industry, that is addressing some of the biggest, biggest concerns they have. Getting people onto the job, getting them working faster and more efficiently and keeping them longer. 
So for those reasons, we're seeing a huge, huge amount of interest from training in the manufacturing space. 3D visualization and guided assistance in the, in the healthcare field is another really big one. I think the combination of all the cameras and sensors, which can give a great deal of diagnostics for a patient and the ability to then superimpose imagery onto a patient and guide a surgeon through a surgical plan that she or he is, has developed themselves is incredible. The, the idea being that you can truly increase accuracy and safety of procedures and thus create better outcomes for the patient. That is the other area where we're seeing a massive uptick in in applications uh, that are being developed. And we're seeing some great um, clinical reviews come through the FDA as well as those solutions come, come to market. Um, remote assistance is the other one. And I think that especially in the public sector side, when you think about the ability to bring in an expert and not having to fly someone in to repair large machinery is has been another really big, big one. Those are the three things that I think we're seeing the most interest in. Um, I think training would probably be the, the largest one that we see as a company and the one that we see the most you know, immediate promise in. Personally, uh, because I have a medical background, uh, I can't help but be super enamored with, uh, with the healthcare applications. I think that this device in particular and, and future ones that come from other companies as well, because of all the sensors they have on them and the ability to deliver diagnostics almost anywhere, um, and then the ability to go as far as like surgical intervention, these devices are going to really radically change the delivery of healthcare. They're going to do it at a much smaller cost. So what that means is you get more and more patients being able to get access to care, and you're going to be able to do that at a lower price point. And that, again, means more and more people can get access to care. So for me, that is truly uh, one of the most exciting things um, that is going to that is going to come. And personally, it's something that I, I get the most excited about. And what are some use cases or verticals that seem so obvious to you or like no-brainers for AR adoption, but the market just hasn't realized it yet or are too stubborn at the moment to adapt? I don't think it's that they don't, they don't recognize it. I think a lot of people don't yet understand that the technology is in a place right now where they can actually implement it and receive an ROI immediately, right? And so architecture engineering construction is one that, that we're definitely keeping a very, very close eye on. And we see some great solutions coming out for pre-visualization of, of buildings, both interior and exterior. Um, we've got one solution in our, in our portfolio um, called um, Argyle, and they do BIM data visualization and also the visualization of construction data so that it's layered appropriately, linearly, and in, in how it needs to be implemented. One of the great um, figures that I was told recently is that the construction industry wastes about $500 billion a year doing rework, things that have been built or installed that then have to be un uninstalled or taken apart again because something, something wasn't done in the right order. And solutions like, like Argyles can actually do an incredible job of making sure that people follow along the instructions and you don't, you don't put a pipe where something else has to go behind and you have to do all that rework. And so I think that's an industry that is ripe for great transformation with the, with the use of digital data and one that um, I think is yet to really pick up on just how much cost savings there can be in the implementation of this type of tech. Can you describe the go-to-market motion? Like I guess with respect to like um, 
various uh, customers, potential customers, not understanding that uh, immediate ROI can be recognized. Like uh, just trying to better understand what the selling process actually looks like and how long it is, et cetera. Sure. Um, right now, we do a lot of time. We spend a lot of time educating the market. I think, um, especially on the on the you know the the use cases and within the verticals that we talked about. So there's there is a lot of education that goes on, content that we have to develop and push out there. We have a number of channel partners across the U.S. Uh, in Europe, in the Middle East, that are that are selling, and there's a lot of time that goes into making sure that they're well trained enough and truly understand the full ecosystem of solutions available as they take this product to market. Um, you know, the the enterprise sales process is a longer process than the consumer one. Um, it is, um, and it is typically done through big, you know, sort of channel partners on the reseller side, and they and that's how they that's how they purchase, right? And so. That is a lot of what we have to spend our time doing. We create a lot of first-party content at Magic Leap, and we do a lot of uh, a lot of uh, media uh, and a lot of educating the market. But it is it is not a short sales cycle. I think it's nascent technology. We have a lot of customers who know immediately that this is something they want to do. They might not be sure they might not be sure which platform or how. Uh, and we spend a lot of time making sure that they're they're well versed in that. The other piece of it is, you know, system integrators are a big a big part of the the push going forward. Um, a lot of them are pushing their clients into this area, and we're lucky to have a really solid position and a very solid reputation, both on the technology front and also just as a company now, so that we are a partner that keeps getting tapped over and over again by those large system integrators to to bring us into those projects with their clients. I have a question just on the market dynamics and we, you know, we have a a large number of players now, some of them very large companies in this world. Most notably, you had Apple's entrance into this space. Obviously, they're not doing AR and, you know, they're not building a solution like what Magic Leap has out there. But was there any renewed sense of interest into the full, you know, mixed, virtual, augmented after this announcement, and how do you view these um, larger companies like Microsoft out there with Hololens? It must be, you know, pretty daunting to go up against these uh, companies with unlimited cash. How are you positioning? How, how is a company positioning itself to, um, you know, customers out there when they when you have these new entrants? And and again, there's obviously, and I'd love you to point out the differences between some of these solutions. Sure, I, I think. Um... Well, there's a lot of questions there, so I'll start. Yeah. Um, I'll start on the technology front. So I think what we've seen come out of the uh, the industry so far, and at least most recently, are pass through VR devices. I think they have great great use cases for screen replacement. Um, I'm not sure they're able to tackle the same market that Magic Leap is going after, and. To be very clear, the enterprise market is the market that is going to deliver the most amount of revenue in the in the near in the near future. I would say in the next, you know, at least the next five to eight years. Uh, I think enterprise is where is where the most amount of investment will happen. Um, and so I don't know if they can deliver on on that that need in the near term. I don't think pass through VR is going to be a technology that is going to win the day. I think at the end of the day, most people are going to want to see the physical world with their own eyes and have that digital content integrated into that experience. I don't think they want to wear something that is recreating the physical world for them and and looking at a screen all day long. There are real physical limitations for a lot of folks on on how comfortable those devices are to wear and the side effects they get from wearing them, especially long-term. So at the end of the day, I think AR is going to be the technology that 
that is really going to be the standard bearer for these, this, this type of experience. Um, and I think most of the companies have said that, that that, that is the, where they're going. Um, the truth of it is I don't, we haven't seen a lot of devices that have entered the market. Um, definitely none that are as performative as Magic Leap. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. This optics technology is incredibly difficult to design um, and to manufacture. And so I think a lot of folks are struggling on, on that end. So uh, as far as you know, what I think about those devices, I think they have great use cases. I think Apple did a great job showing how screen replacement is a great, a great use case for the Apple Vision Pro. But for the market that we're going after, it's really not, not something that I think they can tackle at this moment in time. That was, so that was your first question. How do you go up against these, these large behemoths of technology with unlimited budgets? I think if Magic Leap has proven anything, you don't need an unlimited budget to produce the best technology on the market. I think we spend, the company in its total lifetime has not spent what Meta spends in one year in this, in this area. And we still manage to produce this incredible device and, and the manufacturing you know, sort of capabilities around it. Um, and so I think that says a lot about what's truly needed here in order to produce uh, the type of tech necessary to really deliver performance for the enterprise space, uh, at least. And that, that goes for the consumer space too. These, uh, you know, our, our roadmap for technology is not geared toward just only doing consumer, uh, doing enterprise. You know, our roadmap includes making the device more performative, you know, increasing compute power, shrinking the size of the device, um, obviously wanting to bring the cost down as, as we can. Um, all those things will open up a larger and larger market for Magic Leap. We have technology plans that give us the ability to do that. Um, and so I think that we're in a very, very good position when it comes to the tech. The other thing is we don't go at it alone, right? We've got incredible partners that are massive in scale. I mean, I mentioned NVIDIA before. They're, they're an incredible partner to Magic Leap. They're a big part of you know, why people see value in us, especially as we begin to do more and more connections with the Omniverse. You know, we've got big partners like VMware and Cisco, and you know, we've got every engine that you, you need to create content on uh, is, is certified for Magic Leap. So, um, it is daunting, of course, you know, when you're going up the big against the biggest tech companies in the world. Uh, but I think that we've managed to create a partnership strategy for Magic Leap that allows us to compete at that level. Um, we've been able to produce technology that bests what is out there and do it ahead of the curve. Uh, and so, at this moment in time, I'm really happy with where we are, and I don't, I don't find that to be a challenge that that is really affecting our our own go-to-market. Before I forget. Um... Would love to get a high-level overview of micro LED versus liquid crystal, I, as it pertains to, I guess, optics. As you've mentioned, it's extremely difficult. I believe Vuzix uses micro LED. Magic Leap uses like a custom liquid crystal architecture. Would be great to understand right. you know, what's better, what's working, what's not. Um, yeah, I think for at this moment in time, liquid crystal and silicon LCOS, which is what we use, is. Uh, I think the best the best solution out there. Um, I don't think anybody is, um, has figured out um, how to do it at scale and at a cost uh, that is going to make sense. Is what my my guess is. We have our plans for for micro LED. We continue to to investigate and and go down that path. Our waveguides obviously will be more than happy to take a light source from wherever we, wherever we bring it in from. But um, at this moment in time, I think micro LED is a bit further away than most folks would like to believe it is. Um, and LCOS is, I, I still think, the best, the best possible solution, especially if you're trying to scale 
uh, a device and keep it at uh, a certain level of cost to keep the battery consumption at a certain level, I think you're still dealing with uh, best in class with LCOS. Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. This has been amazing. Before we wrap, we just have one more question. Uh, what are you most excited about within the enterprise space regarding AR technology over the next five years? I think retail is probably one of the areas that we're going to start to see more and more progress uh, and integrating that into both the retail employee and the shopper experience, I think is something that is really interesting. And I think the other one that is bubbling up are these location-based experiences. So Tin Drum did an incredible one at the shed in uh, in New York over in Hudson Yards, and they did another one in, in Brooklyn of these multi-person uh, art installations. And I say multi-person, I mean you know, 50 to 80 people at a time seeing a simultaneous experience using Magic Leap headsets, which is incredible. It's an incredible feat that you have all these devices synced to a single piece of content. I think it's a great proof point for enterprise that you know you can have these mass experiences, with multiple employees seeing the same exact thing at the same time. But it shows that there's a true interest in these uh, consumer-facing experiences that that are entertainment-based. I mean, you can look at the Sphere over in Las Vegas. There's definitely an, uh, a bubbling interest in people seeing uh, and experiencing these types of things. I think um, as far as a B2B2C play, I think that opens up huge opportunities for, for Magic Leap as we begin to talk with more and more companies who are looking to to create these types of experiences. The automotive side is the other one that I think is really, really interesting, um, both from a design perspective and replacing clay models and really being able to have a, a collaborative design process that is based on digital models and not a physical model uh, is really interesting. And even, uh, and this goes beyond automotive, but the factory of the future and really thinking about how you integrate this technology into designing a factory, training employees, and then having them wear it as part of the, the fabrication process, the manufacturing process, is another area that I'm really excited because I'm starting to see more and more interest and more and more people experimenting with that. And I think it's going to be one of the big game changers that you're going to see in the next few years. All right, Daniel, well, thank you so much for that. This has been an amazing uh call and, and and thank you so much for coming on. This is a uh, very exciting uh, opportunity here in, in the AR space and very exciting what you all are building at Magic Leap. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.